Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is the Garden of Gethsemane. Strap on your running shoes, pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook, and join us. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so today's topic is the garden. And my first question to you is, for those who aren't as familiar with the story, perhaps, where does it fall within the whole crucifixion story that Jesus is in the garden? Well, first of all, I think that lifting up that it is a part of the crucifixion story is important. Okay. We're talking specifically about a section of our story that some people call the passion narrative, and that covers everything from the point in time where Jesus comes into Jerusalem through his resurrection. Okay. And the garden part of this happens. So we have that big palm processional, and then the disciples and Jesus gather together and have a final meal. Lots of people have seen the final Last Supper picture. Sure. And then after they're done with their meal, after Jesus has said, love each other, and they have had dinner together, and in John's gospel, after he's washed their feet, then he and the disciples go together to a garden to pray. Okay, so everybody goes. Everybody goes. It's kind of like an after-dinner constitutional, Mm, if you will. mm -hmm. A walk for digestion. I love it. (laughs) And so they, they gather up and they go for a walk to a place where they often go. This is not a place that is unknown to them. It is a place where they often go as a group or have gone in the past. And one of the beautiful things that Len Sweet talked about when I was studying with him was he said we never really hear in the gospel about Jesus singing but we know that whenever people in his time whenever his tradition would share the psalms they would be singing them okay and as they are going to the garden they sang psalms oh really and so you can imagine this kind of journey where after a full night's dinner with a whole lot of wine because remember the Seder meal (laughs) sure has a lot of wine this whole crew of folks wandering their way to this garden together singing songs and praise to God after a very celebratory evening if a somber one an odd one with the choices that Jesus was making as the head of the table okay now the image of them singing and walking is somewhere between karaoke and wassailing, and I would never have associated that with Easter. <laughs> right? And, and you don't even, like, I don't know. I think it's an imagination experience to kind of think about what it would be like to have this whole crew of likely drunken folk kind of making their way and then wondering just how sober was Jesus in this because he seems like the sober one sure and I don't know about you I don't know if you've ever been like the designated driver in the revelry I have (laughs) it's a unique position it is okay so they're on their way and they're gonna go to the garden and they're having a walk and they're singing songs where is the garden is this a long journey is this close to where they're at does it matter It's a good question. There's actually historically some multiple sites around Jerusalem that are considered this. Different organizations, different denominations claim different sites as the specific spot. So multiple denominations make different claims to this spot. What we know is that in two of the Gospels, this is called the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the olive press. 
Okay. And one, I believe, says Mount of Olives, and another talks about it being an estate. And so if we think about this as being a place with olive trees. Oh, that's funny, because when you say garden to me, I'm thinking big, giant, blooming plants, because it's got to be somewhere (laughs) way more tropical than I am. Right. Right. Yeah, no, it's probably, I mean, there's four different denominations, at least, who claim it. And you can go online and take a look and see where the spots are. But I think what is important in this is that what we're seeing is Jesus and crew Mm -hmm. go to a place outside where they normally go to pray and be close to God. Okay. And if we think about an olive tree, if you think about back when Jesus calls Nathaniel, he talks about seeing him under his olive tree because that's where they would go to like pray individually. Okay. You could sit and be under a tree and like that's your own little shrine. It's your own place to be. So they go to a place with olive trees for Jesus to go and to pray. Okay. So, of course, Jesus says, everybody stay awake with me. We need to pray. <laughs> it's so not going to happen. Not after wine. Not when you're <laughs> tired after food. It's like Thanksgiving, right? Who can stay awake after that? And it's a big meal, Mm -hmm. and it's a lot of glasses of wine. And so he begs them, stay awake, keep vigil with me. And he goes a little ways away, and he sits down to pray, and everybody passes out. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, Jesus, who is aware of what is coming, has his moment of fear. Well, that's real, especially this day and age. Right, And we have differing accounts in the gospel as to where Jesus is or isn't regarding the betrayal of Judas. But in all of them, he knows what's coming. He knows that being in Jerusalem at this time is deadly for him. So how many of the gospels does this show up in? All four. All four. Yeah. Him praying to not have to endure this and then coming to a point of acceptance that he will have to endure the cross is present in all of the Gospels. Okay. So how much of the actual story then takes place in the garden? You're saying they go there and he prays, and then what happens? Well, while he's praying, he begs God to... Many people will have heard this, even if they aren't necessarily particularly religious or haven't necessarily done a lot of Holy Week stuff. The whole take this cup away from me. Sure. Anybody who's seen Jesus Christ Superstar knows that one. There you go. (laughs) Right? So that's the scene, right? Take this cup away from me. Don't make me do this. And then he goes back out and he sees all of his friends and he says, are you not staying awake with me? Like, wake up and keep watch with me. Come and be with me in this. And so they try. And of course, they pass back out. And Jesus goes back in and cries and prays. In the Gospel of Luke, it said that he is so distressed that he sweats blood. Whoa. I hope I never get to that level of distress and sadness. Right? It is an actual medical event that can happen. Wow. It is possible to be so distressed that you sweat blood. And so it's a very painful, very scary time for Jesus. And finally, he gets to this accepting point. And that's where the scripture verse that, again, many people, even those of us who haven't grown up in the faith all that much know, and that's not my will, but yours be done. Sure. And that's where that happens in the Jesus story, is this moment of great distress and great fear 
and the start of the disciples abandoning him and him saying, not my will, but yours be done. I will accept this. I will go through this. Is this something that's taking place in the dark? Is it nighttime at this point? It kind of has to be, doesn't it? Absolutely. Oh, man. So the final meal is the Last Supper. So it's dinner time. It happens late in the evening. And so this is late at night when this is occurring. Okay. So it's late at night. Everybody, I mean, it seems natural, right? That is probably about the low point of most anybody's day is late at night, all alone. You know, something big and terrible is about to happen. I, it's kind of, I don't want to say reassuring, but I'm going to say reassuring to know that he goes through that the same way that we all go through that. Absolutely. And it's not that you want Jesus to suffer. No. But it's that idea that in the midst of our hardest and most shadowed hours of our lives, Jesus has been there. God has been in that place. And I think what I pull from that moment is Christ could have chosen in that moment to say, forget it. I'm going to use all the power I have, and I'm just going to smash the Roman Empire. And I'm, I'm going to cut down these people who would stop healing from happening. I'm going to return the violence with my own violence because it's justified. It's self-preservation. In fact, it's godly preservation. So sure. why wouldn't I choose that, right? But Jesus doesn't. Jesus fights that battle of self-preservation and recognizes that in the act of showing that love will have the final word, that the world can change. Well, he also could have just decided everybody's asleep. Nobody else is going to see me. I'm out. I'm leaving. Yeah, totally. Totally. Which is what I think any other normal human being would have done. Another completely verifiable kind of thing to have chosen, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, Jesus sticks through, walks back to his disciples, says, wake up, the time has come. And at that point in time is when Judas, one of his disciples, one of his friends, one of the people that he broke bread with, shows up because this is a place where they often go to pray. And so Judas knew where to find them. Sure. It's in that moment that Judas shows up with soldiers to arrest Jesus and betrays Jesus by coming up and greeting him with a kiss. So if you think of like a European greeting with a kiss sure. on each cheek, right? It's one of those familiarity things. And Judas has told the army and the captains that the one that he kisses is Jesus. None of the other disciples could say, no, it's me. I'm Spartacus. Yeah, right? Sure. <laughs> There's no swapping out. Judas walks up and kisses Jesus. And in one of the gospels, Jesus looks at him and says, do you betray me with a kiss? And it's that, that closeness, right? And in time of quarantine, of course, we, we don't have that. No. But we do with the people we're quarantined with, right? Yep. Think about that level of closeness is who Jesus and Judas were. And that's the person who betrays him and has him arrested. Wow. Is this when they leave the garden or is there more? Because doesn't somebody else betray him as well? Or does that happen earlier or later? Well, what happens at that point is Peter strikes one of the slaves' ears off. Right? Okay. Peter comes back and kind of fights back to the soldiers who have shown up to arrest Jesus. 
And Jesus's response is to grab the ear and heal it and say, we're not going to do that. We're not going to fight back with violence. So okay. knock that off. Doubling down Behave. on the nonviolent behavior. I like mm-hmm. it. And then at that point, Jesus is arrested and taken to the Sanhedrin, is taken before the Jewish authorities in order to have a trial, which is very, very, very odd because he should not have a trial at nighttime, but he does. And that's part of the point of what makes it such an odd trial. Sure. The disciples pretty much scatter at that point, and Peter and one other disciple follow Jesus. Do all four Gospels agree on what happens in the garden, or are there parts that happen there and parts that don't? There are slight differences. Like I said, the name of the place where they go to pray is slightly different in the Gospels. Exactly what happens when Judas shows up and how the betrayal goes differs slightly from Gospel to Gospel. But they all agree that a betrayal in this place happened by Judas, and that that is where Jesus is arrested. And they all agree that Jesus has a time of praying and anguish in that moment. Do you think it matters at all that it's a garden and not some other space, public space? I think it really matters that it's a garden. Okay. Because we begin our biblical story as human beings. Sure. In a garden. That makes sense. And the end of our story, the promised end of our story with God is in a garden. So yeah, I think it's critical that this happens in the midst of a garden. Now, given our current status as being quarantined and nobody's going to a physical church service on Easter, do you think it would be useful to find some sort of a garden space and reflect on this? Or is that not a helpful thing? I think it could be a helpful thing. I think especially considering that we don't have on-site Holy Week services, opportunities to come and be present to remember Thursday and Friday and Saturday, the Holy Triduum. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to take some time to remember that part of our story. We go from parade to empty tomb, but we have to get there through the cross. And in the time of quarantine, we're living in a time of the tomb. Yeah. Right? We're we're fully in it. And when we ignore these moments and these times when we can see that God understands our deep grief and God understands our fear, we lose the depth of comfort that we can receive in times exactly like this. And so, yeah, I think it could be extremely helpful to go to a place that is familiar to you and is safe for you to be and to sit and to read the passion narrative, to spend time outdoors with your back against a tree and praying and pondering. What does it mean that Jesus knows what it is like to be afraid? What does it mean that Jesus knows what it's like to catch his death by a kiss? What can that say to us in this time and in this place? And what comfort can that offer us when we get to Easter and that reminder that death is not the end for us, that we have a God that goes beyond death and we have a faith that reminds us that this is not the end of our being. And so I think it's especially important in a time like this that we can take things like the story of the garden, the story of the prayer on Thursday night, and let our hearts rest in it. It won't necessarily be comfortable. Sure. Sure. But it may be comforting. Excellent. 
That's going to lead me to my last question, which, given the somewhat heaviness of what we've been talking about, is going to be a fluff question. Go for it. So what if you could go to your favorite garden? What is your favorite garden? My favorite garden is the Japanese garden here I in Portland. I had an idea that might be the answer. <laughs> yeah. There's actually multiple gardens within the Japanese garden. And in the natural garden, which is kind of in the back corner, there's a little shelter that looks over a little bit of a stream and a staircase that goes up okay. and one of the Japanese lanterns. And that particular spot is a spot that is quite special in my heart. There are spots all over that garden that are quite special, but that one in particular is a lovely space to go and to be and to sit and to rest. Excellent. And if you can't be in your favorite garden for any sort of reflection, we encourage anybody to sort of imagine yourself there. That's right. Or open up and see what is in your direct neighborhood. I have found in my neighborhood some really cool trees that I had not been paying attention to until I needed to walk only in my neighborhood. Sure. We've all taken the opportunity to slow down and see a little more what's around us immediately. Very true. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the Garden of Gethsemane. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And Holy Week blessings to all of you. May this time be a time of richness, even as it is a time of slowing down. May peace guard you, and may you celebrate the promise of the resurrection with your family and your loved ones. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you, no matter what.